So, um, <clears throat> I don't even remember the question. Who even knows what's going we, on we anymore? Get, you start talking we, about we rap the, at one point. We get to block that out, right? <laughs> I thought it was about the freestyle. So <laughs> you got really excited. <laughs> oh, I'm going to freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Retake. What is up, everybody? And welcome to episode two of the Fat Pratt Chat. I actually love the way that sounds. I hope you all appreciate that. I, I can't think of a better name myself. I'm glad we chose that name. Uh, so on this episode, I want to break down real quick what we're going to be talking about so you have an idea what's to come. Spoiler alert, James and I are pretty long-winded. We tend to talk a lot. And especially when it comes to training-related content, we kind of geek out on that a little bit. We hope you appreciate all these uh, tangents and digressions we have. Um, and I think sometimes being long-winded in this case is a little needed. So first and foremost, we talk about taking back Sundays. At this point, you listening to the podcast, we have already implemented that. Um, we understood that there would be some people that didn't like it, but we understood there was pros and cons. So we're going to talk a little bit about what ultimately led to the decision or led us to the decision to take back Sundays. Next up, we'll talk about programs, what they are, why we think they're needed. We will answer the question of, can you get results without an exercise program? We touch on good versus bad exercises and our thoughts on calling exercises good or bad and why maybe we can't always use that terminology. Uh, we will talk about repeating a four-day routine. So that's our program. We're going to talk about why we, why we think repeating a routine, in our case, it's a four-day workout routine, why we think that leads to better results. Uh, James, at one point, I asked him what are the four most important considerations when writing a program. So if you've ever thought about what we consider when writing your program, we'll talk about the four things that James thinks are the most important. And then you'll find out why in this episode, James really loves you. And you'll maybe keep tally of how many times he says he loves you. And you'll see why. All right, so let's get right to it. Enter in episode two of the Fat Pratt Chat. Here we go. All right, we're off and running. Episode two of the Fat Pratt Chat Woo! with Fat Pratt himself, James. <laughs> uh, I don't know when the first episode's uh, coming out, but I'm excited to listen to that, to listen to exactly how I sound on the microphone, too. A little, a little worried about it. I, I, have a, I have a fear of listening to myself speak, so uh, I don't know what to expect from listening to the podcast. I don't know if I'm actually going to listen to the podcast, to be perfectly honest with you. Your voice sounded beautiful. You should listen to it. It sounded really good. Really good. <laughs> Um, yeah, quickly, I wanted to, I wanted to address first and foremost, our taking back Sunday. Oh, we're going there right now. Yeah. I was going to save that till the end. No. All right, no we have, this gonna... is so important. We have to get this yeah. out now. So yeah, it's, it's come up a bunch and you know, we kind of knew that this would come up as an issue with, with some of the clients, especially the, the Sunday faithfuls. But ultimately I just want everyone to kind of understand that. One, we just hired another full-time trainer in Jamie, who's awesome. Uh, he's done really good in his internship. I went to college with him. Uh, I've known him for the last 11 years. Really good dude. Everyone's going to love him. Uh, he's going to fit right in with our current staff, and you guys are going to like him just as much, probably more than everyone else. You know, I can't imagine you guys liking John more than Jamie. Who's John? <laughs> <laughs> Do we have one of those on staff? <laughs> Uh, but ultimately that Sunday, it like for us, it's, it's been a little bit of a hit or miss in terms of the amount of people that schedule it. And then people dropping in, dropping out, 
Uh, Saturday's always been much more popular than Sunday. So we decided to take the amount of training hours that we have and kind of invest the majority of those hours into Monday through Saturday. So now every session is going to have three trainer capabilities. So we'll have 21 spots available for each session with the same seven to one maximum scenario of clients to trainer. And then, uh, you know, from there, we should have significantly less wait lists. Um, so we're hoping that, you know, putting a lot more trainers on Monday through Saturday uh, eliminates the necessity for some of you to kind of have that spillover Sunday day um, that you guys have had for a while. And originally, we brought Sunday back, uh, you know, to try to thin the schedule out for COVID when that was kind of at its peak and when we first came back into the facility. So, you know, we're hoping that... Uh, you know, with the Monday through Saturday, everyone's going to be much happier in that you're you're less likely to to be left on a wait list before that session comes on on those more more popular days, Monday through Saturday. We love you guys, no matter what. And I know there's about eight to ten Sunday faithfuls that are really upset about this. And even if you guys hate me for this, I still love you. <laughs> uh, I I didn't have any questions planned for this necessarily, but just uh, what comes to mind is. And we might have to cut this out. What What is the meanest text message you've gotten from Ooh. this? And what is the nicest text yeah. message you've gotten in light of no Sundays? Yep. Well, the nicest text message wasn't sent to me. The nicest text message was sent to a staff member of like, hey, you know, you deserve the day off. So that gives away who the text was sent to. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good for everyone to have a day off, both staff and clients, which I totally agree. And I love that person for making that comment and observation. And uh, the meanest one was probably someone who texted and, you know, basically gave me a lot of like, uh, for lack of a better term, common sense ways to resolve the Sunday issue and keep it, Um, you know, which ultimately kind of seemed like a, you know, we took that into consideration. Uh, We've, we know the drawbacks of this. We know that not everyone's going to be happy. Like when you take away a day of training that some people use, we expect some people to be unhappy about it. Um, So I think not necessarily uh, mean, but more so along the lines of, uh, you know, like, oh, well, why didn't you think of this, this or this? It's like, well, we did think of that, that or that. And we created a pros and cons list. And decided that with the pros and the cons of potentially doing this, the pros outweighed the cons, uh, which led to the decision. Yeah. And no matter what you guys think and how much you hate me, I still love you. <laughs> We're going to have to say that a couple more times, I think, <laughs> throughout this next uh, episode. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I have an, uh, I expected more uh, on the floor um, negative vibes, I guess I could say, from people. And, and most of it's been positive. I think most of our members understood the position we were coming from and the reasons why. Um, so that's where, that's where it, la- it lands with me so far on the floor with interactions. And real quick, a couple of the positives. The 4.30 instead of 5. I know a lot of people are happier to have that 4.30 as an option now. Uh, and then that 5 o'clock really busy session is probably going to be dispersed a little bit better between 4.30 and 5.30. Our last session is now at 6.30 instead of 7, uh, which that 7 was pretty light for an adult training hour. So now some of those, uh, some of the members that were coming at six or seven can go to that six thirty, and the Saturday times are pushed back a half hour. So now the last session for adults is eleven o'clock instead of ten thirty for some of you late risers on the weekends. A lot of benefits. <laughs> so many benefits. 
And what was it you had to say to them? What was it? And just so you guys know, even if you do hate me for this, I still love you. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you're whispering it a little bit now. All right. So question one, topic one out of the way. Uh, Does that bring us to the topic of the day? Or is there something else that you want to do now before the end? No, no, let's do it. Let's get into these topics. All right. Topic of the day. We touched on this in episode one. So we're going to go a little more into detail here. Why write a custom program for everyone? Uh, That's some of the questions that I think people who know this industry uh, look into what we're doing. And they're like, why are you doing that? It's kind of hard. It requires a lot of time. It's really hard to scale. So my first question to James, and let's see if he can do this in 30 seconds or less, Uh because this is hard. Uh This is hard. You would never be able to answer a question. No way. No way. I've been talking for three minutes straight right now. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) do your best. To somebody who doesn't know, James, what is an exercise program? So when we design an exercise program for someone, the bottom line is we want to accumulate some sort of progressive overload over the duration of their training. So we want to see improvements on a week-to-week or session-to-session basis with what we put together. So that exercise program has to have some repeatability, and you have to improve over the course of that exercise program. Wow. That was about 20 seconds, I think. I'll have to go back and fact check that. <laughs> about 20 seconds. Although, although if I were a brand new person to exercise, I don't think I would understand anything you just said. Yeah. Um, yeah so we can break that down a little bit before we get to our next question. Um, for somebody who literally knows nothing, and to them, I think what they are expecting you to say is an exercise program is you go and follow somebody on stage that does some workouts, and that's your program. Um, so we have a sheet of paper for everybody Literally a sheet of paper that some people really want us to make digital, but we. It sounds underwhelming, <laughs> but it's like it's it's cardstock, it's thick blue paper. It's like you know, it looks nice. It's got our our header on the top. It's a good looking paper, you know. Don't be underwhelmed by John's description of this paper. <laughs> uh, regardless of whatever it is, it's paper, which to me is not underwhelming. I think it's great. I like the paper because we get to make notes on that. We get to track your reps and sets. Uh, so <laughs> we're clearly the two oldest staff members. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, obviously blew up our spot real quick on episode two here. Um, all right, so a little extra detail on a program and what our programs look like. Yeah, so for our exercise programs, like we want to put together the right exercises for each person, which varies depending on the person. So uh, I think a lot of times people have this misconception of uh, there's good exercises and bad exercises and everyone should do good exercises and nobody should do bad exercises. But there's a, there's a, a lot of customization behind determining the right exercises per individual. So ultimately, we want to give someone the correct exercises in a program to maximize the reward of their training time and reduce the the risk as much as possible uh, for injury or pain purposes. Um, So, you know, when I when I when I say progression, just give an example. If we give you an exercise on your first day here and you use a certain weight for that exercise, let's just, you know, say a 15 pound dumbbell seems to be a common dumbbell that we would select for a program day one of people who haven't done much leading up to them coming in. Uh, By week two, week three, week four, we want to see that weight potentially go up uh, if you're performing the same amount of reps, which is, you know, the the times you would do, let's say, a squat. Um, So if you do 10 squats with 15 pounds the first day that you're here, uh, when you come back around to that particular day, we want to make it more challenging in some way, shape, or form. And the easiest example right now to give you is that we would give you a heavier weight um, at some point over the duration of the program so that when you look back over the program, you see that 
uh, you've progressed in strength over the course of that exercise program. Nice. Is that and better for new people? I, th- <laughs> I think that's so much better. Um, so I, that's going to bring us to another question later, which uh, everybody can keep a mental note, um, where we talk about repeating the same exercises and not only the same exercises, repeating the exact same reps, sets, exercises for the day. Not that we do that with everybody specifically because we'll change the reps and sets as needed or have that built into the program. But we'll talk about that a little later. Um, so uh, real quick, you touched on good and bad exercises. And this is a great um, uh, side note for us to take. Give us an example of what somebody thinks is a good exercise and a bad exercise and then what you would tell that person about that exercise. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> the best example I would say is deadlifts. Totally. Like deadlifts. I, I figured that's where we're going to go. Like deadlifts are, that's an exercise that a lot of people will say is bad. It's bad for your back. My doctor told me so. This person told me that. And the thing is, in a lot of circumstances, that person's right. Like if you go to the gym by yourself and you decide to put weight on the bar and pick it up, like that's probably not a great exercise for you in that situation. Uh, however, if you know we do an assessment and it's we've determined that you have the necessary range of motion to do a good deadlift, we show you the technique of the exercise to reduce the likelihood of using stuff that you shouldn't be and uh, you know quote unquote compensations, uh, and you know you actually use the right target musculature to perform the exercise, then it's a really safe exercise. And the funny thing is, is if you actually do it properly and do it well over time and progress appropriately, you significantly reduce the likelihood that you will one day get hurt doing it. So it's almost like you have to kind of do it to get to reduce the likelihood of getting hurt. But just showing up to a gym or, you know, let's say doing deadlifts, uh, you know, in a, you know, in a, I guess the term would be like a industrial park type gym where there's lack of supervision, then, you know, maybe it's not a good lift for you on that, in that circumstance, in that setting, in that environment. Uh, But if we choose the right version of the exercise for you and you progress appropriately in it, it becomes a great exercise for you. Yeah, totally. I figured you were going to go there with the deadlifts. Um, Whenever somebody comes in and says, I know somebody that hurt their back doing this. I previously hurt my back doing this. Whether it's a deadlift or not, the first thing that goes through my mind, I don't always ask them this question, but it's like, I'd love to see what you looked like when you did that because you probably looked like most other people that come in here that don't know how to do it. And like James mentioned, they're, they're using different muscles than what would be optimal to perform that lift. And their body is probably in positions that is drastically increasing the risk. Um, so that's where it comes in, where we just t- we just took an exercise that was, quote, bad, and we made it good for you. Um, so that's it's not always black and white when people speak of good and bad exercises, and trainers do that too, unfortunately. Um, all right, let's jump ahead. Uh, programming, back to a program and what we just talked about and what James just described. My next question for you, James, is can people get results without a program? Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. A lot of people can get results from a program. Um, I don't think they'll get maximal results uh, if they're not following some sort of program. But the debate you could always make and the point you could make for people who don't follow a program is that the excitability of not knowing what they're about to do on an individual day increases the likelihood that they actually go to the gym and do something. Because when they know the regimen, they're not as excited to actually go to the gym or do their workout, uh, let's say, on the 
you know, on DVD, if that's still a thing, or on demand, or <laughs> whatever we're hearing Dis- this podcast. Disney Plus. <laughs> this might be 50 years in the future, and like this doesn't even apply anymore. By the time I get done editing these and uh, whatever, Netflix and Netflix work out of the day. Um, but yeah, the they can totally through consistency. Um, is there an increase in risk in not tracking things of getting hurt? Absolutely. Is there an increase in increase in likelihood that you don't get maximal results and not following some sort of program? Absolutely. Is there a ton of flexibility uh, that you could deviate from what you plan on doing because you just don't feel like doing the stuff that would promote you getting maximal results? Absolutely. So can you get results? Yes. Uh, would they be maximal results? Probably not. Um you know, but I think there are certain populations that are motivated to work out, but they hate knowing what they would like to do. Um, you know, that's where I think, you know, I think we'll talk about it probably in a little bit. It's going to come come up in some way, shape or form. But we try to change a stimulus of the exercise in some way, shape or form each week to make it a little bit more challenging. So, you know, we kind of trade the uh, we kind of trade the exercise variety for making an exercise harder. And it's really difficult to perceive an exercise as boring when it's challenging you know so that's kind of our take on like variety is that we're going to continue to make it more challenging through either sets reps or weight and that like the likelihood that you're going to find it boring it's not it's probably not going to happen will you find it challenging yes but will you understand that the challenge is necessary to get to the point that you want to in your fitness goals uh that brings me um right to two questions ahead. Uh, I think this is a great segue. So we're just going to go there right now based on what you just said. So I put this in quotes. Um, and the question that I've been asked as a trainer out at other gyms, inevitably, um, my fellow trainers and employees would come and see me sitting at a computer writing a program. And they, they were like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, putting some programs together for clients. Oh, like, like, what do you mean by that? Right? Like, um, so some trainers didn't even have a category in their head, nor did I when I first got into this. Um, so I'd say the majority, um, thinking of a few places I worked, uh, almost the majority just didn't have a single thing with them when they were training. It was completely made up on the spot. Um, and like we said before, can you get results for your clients that way? Yes, you can. Is it the best way? Probably not. Um, and then, you know, some clients probably value that program more than others. Uh, and you're probably, as a trainer, losing some clients uh, who you're not tracking some data for. So a question that I was asked uh, all the time was, how do you get your clients to repeat the same routine over and over again? How do you expect people to pay you to have them watch you do the same routine, you know, weeks in a row until you give them a new program? Like they just didn't understand. So I had my answers to them, but I'd love to hear James' take on this. And I'm sure he's been asked a similar question. Yeah, one, set the expectation when they first come in that this isn't like uh, the circus act variety exercise show, you know, for lack of a better term. But like, basically, we're not going to just do something different for fun sakes. We want to actually see you numerically progress each week. Now, over the course of a program, to be perfectly upfront with everybody, you're going to get somewhere between 24 to 30 exercises over the course of four separate days of training. Is that too little? Are 30 different exercises not enough exercises to try to improve on over the course of a program. I think when clients hear that, they realize that it's not just like, a, you know, the same, the same routine every single day. Uh, it's a four-day routine in which you have a certain amount of exercises. 
and that we're valuing the actual numeric and quantitative progressions to have you achieve an actual goal. Um, you know, I, I think when people see that we're actually meticulously tracking things for improvement purposes and that it's for their benefit, they value that. Um, I, can't, I can't begin to describe to you how easy it would be to have the staff go out there, make up a workout, write it on a whiteboard, and have everyone do it, and then, you know, call it a day. We would save, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many staff hours we would save if that were the case, and not needing anyone to be in an office programming for, you know, 50 to 60 programs a week or so. Um, so ultimately, I think the clients value that when they see that you're putting in a lot of time and effort into their programs, and that there is some sort of goal associated with what you're putting together for them, and that you want to see them perform. You know, if you put me in, you know, put me in second grade and never tell me that I plan on going to third, fourth, or fifth, then I don't really know where we're going. I don't know when the end game result is. But if you tell me that, hey, you're in second grade now, and if you do a pretty good job, next year you're going to be in the third grade, then I kind of have a goal. I know where I'm going. And I think that's important for a lot of clients to know and hear. Yeah, totally. Um, the um, first thing you mentioned about setting the expectation, I think, is really key. Because I don't think a lot of people have a category in their head for this. So once you set that expectation, the conversation of like, why are we doing the same thing we did last week becomes way easier. Um, and then uh, to your point, when I was training, if I had somebody for me personal training one time a week, that was going to look a little bit different uh, programming wise than somebody who was training three times a week. So I understand there's, you know, the novelty aspect. Um, that person training once a week probably doesn't want to do the exact same thing. But we're going to do a lot of the same similar things and track the progress and then... Um, where James kind of left off, I think what's really cool and what was really cool for me to see clients get excited about was the fact that I had data in front of me that I was tracking progress and we could literally see when they did better. And that got them really excited. So probably more excited, at least my client base, than just doing a random workout every day and not really knowing if they're progressing other than just looking at the scale. So at least we had an um, other way of measuring than just the scale alone to know that, look, you just got stronger. Like last week, you could only do 10 of these reps. We did the same way you did 15 this week, you know, so so there was excitement over that. Um, on time, with prep performance and what we do, uh, that's something that's like a shocker to most people. So I wanted to touch on that real quick because uh, like James was saying, the amount of programs are right. I actually took uh, a month worth of programs. I think I stopped counting them, uh, but it was well over 200 programs uh, for the month, uh, sheets of paper that we printed out. And yeah, cardstock, 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 blue paper, expensive um, paper, <laughs> um, which is a ton. And I remember telling another trainer about this and he like jaw dropped, like, are you kidding? Like, how could you ever have time to do that? Like, and he's like, oh, so like they're a template, right? So speak to that, James, like uh, what, when we write these programs, what does that look like real quick? Oof. Yeah, it starts off completely blank. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's, that's as simple as that. It literally yep. open up a yep. blank document. And I mean, you know, there, there's a template of uh, the Excel document of like the workout, but blank as far as there's no exercise in there, there's no sets, no reps. Um, and then we're off and running at that point. Yeah. And we always like there's there's key decisions we have to make before we start, uh, you know, foundationally. What, how much resistance training do we want this person to do versus how much cardio type activities? The clients see those as a clear divide, so we kind of play to that a little bit of what percentage of this program is going to be resistance training slash lifting weights uh, and what percentage of it is going to be cardiovascular. 
Then after that, we make the decision of how many lower body exercises versus upper body exercises versus quote unquote core exercises that we'll do within that program. Um, and then a lot of this has to do with, you know, where we think we want that person to do most of their work. Generally speaking, women love doing more lower body and core training. Men love doing core and upper body. Um, so a lot of times that the, that's the case, but not always. People will tell you their preferences and biases in which we, le we leave some wiggle room to give people a little bit more of what they like to do. Uh, you know, mostly for, you know, buy-in purposes. Like if, if someone says they really want to work the back of their arms, then, you know, giving them an extra few minutes on their program to do something like that, um, I think is helpful for them. Um, but ultimately we start off completely blank. After that, then we determine which exercises we think are the best fit for this person relative to either their assessment or their, their most recent program. And then we kind of determine the focus of the program and, uh, in terms of focus, you know, is it going to be a lighter program where we're trying to do a lot of reps or a little bit heavier program where we're doing fewer reps, or is it going to be a combination of those things um, in, in reference to the resistance training? For cardio, for the cardio stuff, are we going to do high effort interval type stuff where we're working really hard and resting, or are we going to do just straight duration, three to five minute stuff where we're trying to accomplish certain amount of works? work? So all those decisions are made. Uh, before we put the exercises down in the program, and then it's form-fitting it to make sure that uh, it works well within our system. You know, there's there's certain hours where we have 20 members out there on the floor at once, and we have a good amount of equipment in the facility, but we have to make sure that we're, we don't have backups and equipment. Uh, we have to make sure there's enough flexibility within the program that we could uh, maneuver things around if necessary. And then we also have to make sure that a trainer's not going to be overwhelmed by training seven people at a time. Um, you know, there's not uh, too much, uh, too much going on in the trainer's head that he can't coach at a high level and communicate with the clients at a high level. Uh, that being said, I'm, I, I know you have a lot on this, so I want you to pick four. Uh, pick four things that you think have the most influence on somebody who's writing the program to write a good program. Mm. So pick four. You just talked about like logistics, which I think is a huge one right now. Um, but if you had to narrow it down to the four most important, what do you think it would be? Yeah. So one, I would say uh, the range of motion of the client. Uh, we can't put the client in a position where they're performing exercises that are outside of positions that they can actually get in. Uh, for a lot of people, it's very difficult to get an arm directly overhead. Um, so in those, in those circumstances, trying to get their arm completely overhead without making some sort of back bending compensation or uh, reaching the arm forward instead of overhead, uh, it's just not a great exercise to do like a shoulder press, but there are plenty of other options and variations of that exercise that we could put in place of it. Right. I mean, we're literally setting them up for failure and setting the coach up for failure if we give them an exercise that they literally can't perform right because of range of motion. And then that just leads to a completely frustrating situation. So yeah, yep. cool. Range of motion of client, number one. Yep. And then the, I would say the exercise selection for the person, I guess I, I kind of touched on this before, but making sure we're giving them exercises that they could succeed with and that they'll see progression with. Um, so it doesn't really make a ton of sense to give somebody a barbell back squat. Uh, that is, if that barbell is outside of their strength capabilities. You know, if we give a barbells 45 pounds, let's put it on this person's back. Uh, they have the necessary range of motion to do it. But, you know, if that, you know, let's just say, for example, we have a, you know, a, uh, you know, a man or woman in their 60s 
and they're doing a barbell back squat. It's just probably not a great fit for them. There's probably a better way to do that exercise right now to put them in a position of success and see progress and uh, reduce the likelihood of, you know, potential pain or injury. Right, because for anybody listening to this, if you didn't catch it, it's the same movement, right? We could take the barbell back squat, which is seen as riskier, potentially heavier with an unloaded bar even, and then we could just move that to a goblet squat, and the person's going to be way safer, and, and then we can load that all the way down to two pounds, body weight, five pounds, like whatever we need to do, whereas the bar is 45 pounds, it's got to go on your back, and like <clears throat> you got to get down and up, so good luck, and hopefully you come back, and your back's not crushed the next day. Yeah. And then uh, kind of what I mentioned before, I think the resistance training exercise to conditioning ratio that we decide to put in there is yeah, huge. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Like, uh, you know, there's some people that come in here and they have a very high preference and bias to cardio activities. Um, you know, in terms of how much cardio someone should be doing relative to lifting weights or resistance training, we have a high preference for resistance training. But if someone comes in that has a high preference for cardio type activities, we generally give them a little bit more than we would give most people because of that. Uh, over the course of a program, our goal is to build enough trust that for program number two, that they start to say things like, hey, you know, uh, I like this program. I had some good results. I trust you. And then when they trust us, then we can kind of move them towards a little bit more of what we think is maximally beneficial for them as opposed to what they enjoy. But if we're trying to get somebody to start coming to the gym more frequently, giving them a bunch of stuff that they hate on day one is probably mm. the best way to get them back on the couch. Seriously, uh, which brings us to the assessment and why we ask a lot of questions. Um, just thinking of one I just had today, uh, it's an interesting one because she enjoys cardio, but her doctor told her not to do any high-intensity cardio. So good to know because we probably would have given her some uh, until we had the assessment today. And I was told, yeah, don't do that. Cause like, I like it, but my doctor said no. <laughs> so, okay. Like you're not going to get that. And she, and actually on the low intensity cardio, she did fine, well better than expected. So now I know like she's plenty capable and, um, essentially from talking with her, we can go at her own pace and then, you know, she can have that conversation with her doctor a couple months from now. Uh, and we'll just do some more weights, which she was cool with. Yeah. All right. So we went through one, two and three. The last I don't know I, why I went with four. I, I, that's, four that's a was a random number. number. That, that works Just seemed for me. perfect. So four yeah, is your last one. Five would have been way too many. Three is not enough. So number four, preferential exercises. So when we give, after our clients finish a program, they get to write some of the stuff that they enjoy on the back. And we'll usually be able to make room for that. Uh, if you write less than a novel, then we could usually work with it. Um, but like almost everybody has those two or three things they really enjoy doing. Like for me personally, like, I'll never go through a whole phase of a program without doing arms. I just like it. It's fun. Um, so I'll never not do arms. And then for some people, it's kind of the same. Like if you take away like glute bridges for some women that really like feeling that burn in their glutes when they do certain exercises, like that they're not as excited to work out. And I like, I, I totally understand because I feel that way when I don't get to do bicep curls for a whole program. It's not cool. I'm a not program, okay with it. I do them every day. Yeah, <laughs> twice. Uh, but And like same thing with abs. Do we think that doing a ton of ab training is maximally effective for someone's body composition in the time that they're spending in the gym? Probably not. But do I know that people love feeling that burn in their abs and that maybe – you know, motivates them to come to the gym more frequently and maybe it even motivates them to eat a little bit healthier because you don't want to waste that ab burn by eating a cheeseburger after, you know, far-fetched maybe. But ultimately I think those four things. I don't know, one things... time we had, uh, we caught somebody ordering pizza 
on their phone <laughs> in the session yeah. during the session yeah. we asked her james i think it was you asked her <laughs> i shouldn't have given away the gender but asked her why she was on her phone and the reason was oh i'm ordering pizza for after the session yep. you know <laughs> straight face totally normal like so i, I don't think a cheeseburger right after is that yeah. far out maybe that person just needed more abs <laughs> maybe that's where we missed missed the mark there but those four things making sure that we're not giving them anything outside their range of motion uh giving them the right exercise selection uh the right amount of resistance training exercises relative to conditioning and some preferential exercises uh that you know that person gets to do some stuff they like cool nice good four answers right there all right let's move it on um as it just interesting question just kind of as i was going through these last night just interested on your answer to this, I think I know, as a personal trainer, so before you did um, semi-private training, and before Pratt Performance Systems was a thing, did you ever have sessions where you didn't follow a program with a client? Yes, and this is this is a great question, because I, like, we had a, I talked to, uh, I talked to some of our staff about this, like, for the test, for the test staff members, uh, so I managed their trainers, and we had a really good conversation about the necessity of a program, and I think ultimately, like the t- the entire test staff are very high level trainers. Like for anybody who's been around and goes to a bunch of gyms, like uh, you know the, the everybody on the test side, they're very high level trainers that can like you know if you ask them to put together a workout in their mind, they could do it in you know in one minute. Um, but ultimately, the conversation came to this: if we're trying to make somebody's training difficulty increase over time. Can we do that without having to program for it? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, we could play around with the variables that meet the demands of our expectations of the difficulty of that session. So when someone first comes in, like the worst thing you could do is give them a 10 out of 10 difficult workout and just leave them like just laying on the floor completely obliterated. Uh, when they first start, you know, how, what, and with whatever means, choose the exercises that fit the templates that we talk about all the time. Make sure there's even categorical uh, selections of the exercise you should be doing. And you could, quote unquote, freestyle those workouts for that personal training client. But make sure you're increasing the difficulty of the sessions as time goes on. Because if there's one variable that really matters a lot, it's the perceived exertion uh, of the workout over time. So if I'm to never program for a client ever and they come in on day one, I want that workout to be about a six out of 10 difficulty. And then after a few sessions, maybe I want it to be a seven. After a few more sessions, an eight, then a nine. And then maybe I really beat them up after, you know, a six to eight week time frame with a 10 out of 10 difficult workout. And then I kind of hit the recycle button and I start back over with a little bit easier workouts and then progress them more towards really challenging one. And that was always kind of my take on personal training clients from, you know, a decade ago, where if I were training someone, I didn't write down programs. I knew, I always knew where I was in terms of the type of training session they could handle. And was I going to go a little bit easier on them? Was I going to make it moderately challenging? Or was it like time to beat them up? And I would just kind of run through phases of that um, with the clients that I had if I wasn't programming for them. But that being said, I, you know, I, I found it way more effective to actually program for each client as time went on. Uh, and it just took out all the guesswork on the floor, more time consuming when not training in that you're designing a program for each person. But it, you know, there was no more guesswork. There was, uh, there was no weights that I ever f- had to f- like potentially forgot. 
and making a judgment call like, hey, let's do squats today. Uh, yeah, we're doing 135 pounds. Like, wait, you know, I've only ever done 100. Like, oh, I must <laughs> yeah, be thinking of a different client. <laughs> your personal training client has to tell you the weights that they've been using. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm off by 50 pounds. I totally forgot. Yeah, exactly. So over time, like, it's kind of fun that the client doesn't necessarily know what they have going uh what they're getting hit with on a particular day. But um, if you pers- if you Im- increase the difficulty of the workouts over time, that's your best bet if you're going to decide to just not program for somebody. Uh, but I just think programming makes life so easy and it's just so much more exact and it shows the progress that we need to show to our clients. Yeah, it makes, like you said, a little more time consuming outside of the sessions, uh, which I think is really tough for a lot of trainers to get over that fact. Uh, but then, you know, the more you do it, I think by and large, the clients see better results. It's better for you. It's better for your business as a trainer. Um, and then you're always going to have some level of clients that like don't appreciate it whatsoever. And like maybe they're not the right client for you. And that's a tough thing to decide when you're a trainer that needs revenue that's r- trying to run your own little business there. Um, and then as you get more established, you can make those calls. Uh, I had my sessions where it was always the people that came like one to two times a week max. That was tough to do like a program that was going to take a little while and they were like miss a session or two and then like they're on this program forever and they're totally bored and then like because they're bored they're probably not coming as much so like there was times when i just kind of broke my own rules there and like all right let's just kind of go freestyle over here and like just do a bunch of crazy stuff today to get you a little more excited um because i wanted to keep them as a client and also for that particular person or people i knew like yeah if you leave you're going to sit on the couch and do nothing Or you're going to go to another trainer, potentially, that I think is going to be worse, like, and hurt you. Like, at least with me, like, maybe we're not doing a program anymore, but I'm not going to hurt you or, yeah. or I'm less likely to hurt you. You trust your own freestyle over yeah, what the, yeah, another, yeah, exactly. another person's freestyle. <laughs> always trust your own freestyle. Yeah, always. <laughs> hot 16. <laughs> what is, what is 16 hot? bars. Like, 16 bars makes up a verse in rap. Because so. <laughs> I'm not a rapper. I don't know what he's yeah. talking about right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's head on to... Uh, talking about personal training, what is different about uh, PPS versus a personal trainer? Uh, sarcastically, the amount of time that we get to talk about your family and and life outside of the gym. Um, but oh, kind but of true. yeah, a hundred percent true. And a lot of people, I think, find those moments of awkwardness with a personal trainer uh, to be something that makes them kind of not want to do it. You know, like, all right, I do a set, I do this, I do that. My personal trainer had me do this circuit and then I'm on this break for the next couple of minutes and like, okay, so how's your dog? My dog's good. Your dog's good. How's your family? Family's good. They're Same like, I don't have a dog. I'm a cat. You forgot my weights. <laughs> now you forgot what animal I have. Um, but the, the funny thing is the program, like in the the start of semi-private personal training, prep performance was – I was confident in that I could train everybody the exact same way I currently was just together. Um, you know, so the programming never took a hit, you know, that am I at an arm's length for my client for lesser time? Yes. But it's when I'm confident that they don't need me at an arm's length. Um, so that was kind of like the evolution of it. I'm like, I can go around and uh, coach multiple people at the same time, all on their own program. And, uh, I'm confident that I'll get enough touch points with everybody that I'll provide them a high quality training service and they're going to pay significantly lesser for that time frame that they're actually training. Uh, from the standpoint of like, if you, if you need somebody that you really need to confide in and you know, like, and on, there's a ton of value to this. If you just, if you like having someone to talk to, 
if you really enjoy like th- like the conversation with someone and you value being able to kind of like converse with them about some stuff like personal trainers we always kind of joke around about like being a therapist as well but there's value in that you know so i, I would never say like uh you know take that away i would never want to take that away from people who have a high priority of being able to talk to someone over the duration of 60 minutes while they work out um, but ultimately if the goal is to get the best possible workout um, and you know prioritize the actual training session and the fitness that's taking place then you know semi-private is uh is probably a, a better bet in most circumstances um for the dollars you would potentially spend in my opinion yeah it's it's interesting um touching on the note of a personal trainer at joking being a therapist or whatever it's it's really funny the the conversations you've had when you've had a client for a little while you get to know them and uh, in my opinion, it's because you're a third party to everything else that's going on in their life. And you're separate, most likely, from everything else that's going on at work and at home. Like, so they potentially just unload things on you and you listen and, you know, you train and uh, potentially give advice or whatever. But it's funny. Like, sometimes, it, like, I'd, I'd see it coming. I'd, I'd joke with my clients, like, oh, were you, were you about to have confession time right now again? Like, <laughs> like, whatever you did this week couldn't have been worse than last week. Or whatever your uncle said at the party can't be crazier than last week. But, like, I was like, I can't wait to hear this. because. Yeah. Yep. What's funny is you become invested in some of those stories. It's like, yeah, what did your, like, what did your mother-in-law say this week? <laughs> like, like, I'm actually dying to know like, what's, what's going on. So you have lesser of those moments. Um but, you know, ultimately, again, when it comes to the effectiveness of the actual training session and the fitness that's being performed, uh, that still is one equals one, in my opinion, you know, just a little bit less therapy time. And, yeah. and mind you, clients are great therapists, too. Let's not make this a one sided thing like there. I have needed plenty of therapy sessions from my clients and I do miss those. It's true. It goes both ways because everyone knows I do love you guys. <laughs> I think you've been a tally on these. Are we up to 10 yet? I think you're trying to get to 10. Speaking of the difference uh, about proper performance systems, so so basically what, what it comes down to is like you're going to be more independent in this session. I think a lot of people appreciate that when they experience it. It makes them feel better. And uh, that goes to our mission statement, which we're going to talk about in another episode or two, uh, building confidence and quality of life in everybody. And I think something that builds a ton of confidence is just knowing like you can do this on your own to some degree in the gym. Like, yeah, we have a program. We're going to make that for you. You don't know how to put that together. It's going to take a lot of time on your part to put as good of a program together. That makes sense. That you'll enjoy. That you won't enjoy too much to take away from what your goals are. Um, but the level of independence you get, I think, is uh, really nice. And um, I think builds confidence. Definitely in the athletes. Like, I see that all the time. Like, just knowing that they kind of know what to do makes them feel great. Um, and I think the same goes for adults to some degree, but you still have that trainer there at all times when you need a question or um, to correct form from from a bit away or whatever. Yeah, 100%. I think yeah, the, the athletes is a good point because a lot of them come here and the parents and the athletes admittedly say, like, we have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. Like, we heard and read that strength training is good, but, well, like, where do we start? <laughs> You know, uh, so I think having them understand like, okay, these are squats, these are deadlifts, these are bench presses, these are pull-ups, these are rows, these are ab exercises. And taking them through that from a programming standpoint does give them the confidence to, you know, at some point you're probably going to be in the gym with your teammates in high school or in college. And I want you to have the best technique of anybody in that room. So, you know, I think that's huge from a confidence standpoint in that they're very confident in the gym, whether it's on vacation with their family or in the weight room with their uh, teammates, 
that you know they could potentially even be helpful in coaching up the other athletes that are there. Um, maybe even more so than their sport coach. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, adults as well. Like adults come in not having any idea what to do in a gym, how to organize it, what's the structure. If I do abs first, is it stupid? I heard I should do that at the end. Uh, should I do cardio at the beginning yeah, or the end? Like, so like, many questions. Like so many things that a client, a potential client is thinking about when they first enter a gym that they have no idea what the right answers are. Um, so, you know, anytime that we could kind of help out with people that are <laughs> going through that, uh, you know, I think it's, it's helpful for everyone. Nice. All right. So surprise, surprise, we are way over time. Um, and this is our new record long podcast. So, wow. so episode number two is now of our new record. all these episodes. <laughs> of all the previous episodes. <laughs> this, this is all is John's fault, by the one. way. He just didn't stop talking again. Never. No. We're, we're going to be a problem. We have to have like timers <laughs> set in the room. Uh, okay, so we do have one more thing. Uh, holidays. We're gonna we're gonna finish off here. Uh, you wanted you wanted to touch on working out through the holidays. That's what you told me yesterday. But that's as far as we got. Yeah. So, so let's touch on working out yeah, on the holidays. Yeah. And the and the biggest thing that I want everyone to know is that you should work out through the holidays. I thought you were gonna say I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and that too. Um, but ultimately, I think like a lot of people. I'm thinking of a lot of examples of things that are taking place right now. Clients that um, because their eating isn't perfect, I feel like they fall off the bandwagon a little bit and fall into this all or nothing trap. Yeah. Where I think it's so important that in the holidays, like during the holiday season, that you're probably going to eat a little bit more. You might gain a little bit of weight, but that does not mean that you should stop working out. Like the, the working out has to stay consistent. If you could take... If you could take the, the times of the year that you work out the least and eat the most and at least keep the amount of training volume that you would be doing in your higher intensive portions of the year, uh, that makes such a big difference over the course of 12 months. So I, I don't think that uh, – I, I, I want to keep people out of the, the thought process of – during these times of year, like the summer when I'm partying a lot uh, and having outdoor events or during the holiday season, uh, I'm going to work out less because I'm eating more because like when I go back and the time is right, I'll be hardcore workout, hardcore eat right. You know, and I think that's what the trap a lot of people fall into where if people could just understand that how important consistency is over the course of 12 months, the eating behaviors will vary over the course of the year. Um, and because of a bunch of reasons, uh, the likelihood of you getting in high quality, amazing training sessions will vary a bit, but just stay on course, try to stay as consistent as possible in your schedule, in your training schedule, at least over the course of a 12 month time frame, And, uh, that'll make a huge difference for you over the course of 12 months. Yeah. If you're like anybody else, myself included, like James said, you're going to eat more over the holidays. Uh, and if it's like me, you're probably going to eat more of foods that you wouldn't normally eat that much of. Um, and it's offset like by the training that you do. So if you stay consistent with your training, at least it's offset like the what you're consuming and versus the mentality of like, oh, you know what, like I can't be perfect uh, over here on my eating. So let's just give it all up. Well, that's going to just compound, you know, what's going to happen as a result. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, the early December, eh, you know, I'll be here and there, but you know, I'll, I'll get back on the bandwagon in January. Uh, like at least stay on the workout bandwagon through December. You'll be much happier at the end of January if you didn't take that month off in December. 
That's actually how Frat Pratt came about. It was like you first, it was the holidays, right? And then you just gave up and it was, that was it. <laughs> if every month were holiday season, then yes, that was me. <laughs> Back in my teenage now, years. Now he only comes out once in a while. <laughs> right, 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 right around the family gatherings. Makes an appearance real quick. <sighs> All right. Uh, just because James said it 10 times, love you guys. Now I said it once. So. <laughs> and hey. I'm sorry we're taking back Sundays, and if you hate me for it, I still love you. Peace out. <laughs>